Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterlin, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. We are so glad you're here. This is Marnie, and I am here with Dwayne, who is my co-host and my dear friend, and we are glad to be back with you today. Hello, everyone. So Dwayne and I have, as many of you might know, we have a, a Facebook, an open, a public Facebook page where we have a lot of partners and some addicts um, that are there. And there's a lot of posts regularly about frustration over how to find the right therapist or frustration over feeling that one or both members of a couple are with the wrong therapist. And what does that mean? And help help me know what I should ask for. And I think with betrayal trauma, this is a pretty frequently asked question. And so we felt like it would be helpful to maybe come on and talk a little bit about what does that look like, you know, in betrayal trauma, in this field of betrayal trauma, what does it look like to find the right therapist? And I would put at the end of that, the two words for you. Absolutely, Marnie. And this is a question that I think we encounter all the time. And we also encounter when clients go out and they get help and they get the wrong kind of help. And that uh, therapeutic trauma, maybe unintentional therapeutic trauma, but we also see that with this issue as well. So it is really critical in doing this work, finding therapists that understand the betrayal trauma model and can work from that perspective. Yeah. And what makes this different, I think, than finding therapists in other areas of psychology or the field of psychology? So is that because it's relational, because the betrayal happens to one's partner, right? It becomes a systemic problem. And that is why, you know, if something were to happen to you and you needed therapy, but it didn't involve your partner, directly, right? You would you would just find the therapist that works for you. Your partner really doesn't need to be or shouldn't be really involved in that process. Not to say there's not exceptions to that where that would be not, you know, right. where it wouldn't right. be necessary. But generally speaking, it's a really separate process. But what we have found over the years with betrayal trauma is because it's a systemic problem and because there's such a huge direct impact on the partner, really choosing a therapist is about the couple finding the right treatment as opposed to just looking at the right therapist for just one of the, for just him, let's say. Right. Absolutely. 
so it's a it's a bit of a complicated issue. I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that it's not you know the norm when looking for a therapist to consult with your partner and to bring your partner into that process. So please know that we recognize why this can feel awkward and ultimately why I think a lot of people get angry about their partner wanting to quote unquote get involved with who they're going to see for therapy and like let me figure it out. It's my therapy. But again, because so many of the relational skills that are necessary to heal a relationship are a part of the treatment. If an addict or someone who's betrayed their spouse goes to a therapist who does not work from a relational model and doesn't teach relational skills, then ultimately that relationship is not going to heal. And there's going to be ongoing frustration from the partner and ultimately then for him and then for the couple. Right. And I think you hit on the right word, systemic. Like this is a system problem, the family system that has to be addressed. And when the therapist is working with the individual, they have to keep that in mind as part of the process. And I think a lot of times in therapy, when one person's coming into therapy and they're just dealing with them by themselves, that piece gets easily set aside. And I think in this work, when you're trying to heal the whole relationship and you're trying to heal the partner trauma, that in a way has to be on the forefront of the therapist's mind when they're working with their client. And how is that going to impact the person who has been betrayed if this client wants to work on the relationship and wants to heal the relationship? And I think also sometimes that just doesn't get said in therapy or doesn't get talked about. So the person might be getting good recovery therapy, but this one component is missing. And then what happens is that the partner then really feels left behind or abandoned, unrecognized. Yes, and Dwayne, often, and then what we see is, for instance, now the partner's getting her own help, right? She's out there and she's, let's say, in a group or she's you know, in online groups. She has an individual therapist who specializes and now she's hearing things like, when are you going to do a disclosure or do you want to do a disclosure? And then there, there could be a big discrepancy like, well, my husband hasn't said anything about a disclosure. And then, so then going to the husband and having to say, okay, my therapist is asking me or suggesting a disclosure. This is something I'd like to do. And then he says, my therapist doesn't believe in disclosure or we're not ready for disclosure. We do believe in disclosure, but you know, I need a year of sobriety and I need to work on these other things before I'm ready. So I think from a perspective of how can we help our listeners, anyone who's listening, who's in this situation, like, yes, we are, we are desperately needing to find therapists. So how do we do it? You know, okay, we're identifying that there's this problem, but what do we do? I think that probably the first thing is that everybody needs to sit down and get very clear with themselves and then with with each other in in, in a coupleship as to what are your goals. So when, you know, because somebody walking in to a therapist for sex addiction treatment, it is going to look very different if that person comes in and they're not in a relationship versus somebody who walks in and says, yes, I need to get sober from this sexual behavior. But on top of that, I have really shattered my, my partner's trust. I have damaged my marriage. I don't know how I'm going to repair it. I need to learn how to help her heal and ultimately how to help our relationship heal. So like you said earlier, it's not just about you know, the addiction piece. This is really, a the, we, we say this all the time, like a two-prong or a two-fold issue. And a therapist who is going to treat somebody who wants to heal their relationship can't really ignore that relational piece. Right. I, I think if that 
relational piece gets ignored, that really damages not only the addict's recovery, but the partner's recovery because they'll get stuck. What I found is if, if that piece is ignored, what I see is that they end up getting stuck. The recovery gets stuck, the relationship gets stuck, and they don't move forward. And then something, a lot of times, both of them feel something's missing. It's not working. And then they start looking, you know, at times to other places to, to find more help or more support because they sense it. Well, and sadly, I think, I think yes, something, they recognize something's missing. And in many cases, they also recognize that they're sort of being not intentionally by any means, but they're sort of on different in different camps. It's sort of like, you know, him and his therapist's approach versus her and her therapist's approach. And rather than it being this collaborative experience of helping the system, it becomes, you know, us against them, which can be more traumatic and more damaging to the couple. Right, right, absolutely. And so I think if you're looking for a therapist, there's a couple of things that you really have to keep in mind. And I really think it's important to, if you're, if you're going to get therapy, to interview your therapist and ask questions about how they work with this issue. What is their experience? Have they done it before? Do they understand relational trauma, partner trauma? What do they think about disclosure? right? What do they think about polygraphs and all that kind of stuff as well? Really interview them. Yeah. Even if somebody is highly recommended by, let's say, another person in recovery or someone that you really trust, it is still important to interview the therapist because the recommendation means that for that person who's recommending, that therapist has been great or is really smart or is very skilled. But again, that's that person's experience. And that person's experience might be very different and their goals might be very different than your goals. So really interviewing the therapist, regardless of how reputable they are and how well respected they are and how highly recommended and endorsed they've been. You have to figure out what your goals are and make sure that it's a good fit. And I think what I see happen a lot with, with this in this field is that oftentimes that interview process doesn't happen. People get referrals and, you know, sort of jump in and they don't even know what they don't, you don't know what you don't know. So I think, you know, it's so unintentional, but I've seen so many people get hurt by thinking that they're with somebody who's a specialist. You know, let's say somebody is a CSAT which means, you know, many people out there know, but certified sex addiction therapist, which both Dwayne and I are, um, or an APSAT certified professional, um, a CCPS. And they're just looking at those credentials without recognizing, well, what does that really mean? Okay, I get that they have those credentials, but I still need to interview this person because that can mean very different things depending on who the therapist is. Right. And then I'd also add that you need to be able to see that this therapist can work with the relationship, not just you, but the relationship as a whole too. So, you know, some questions to ask is, you know, if, if you're the addict going in to get help, are you willing to also meet with my partner once to, to uh, share this process with her as well? Um, are you comfortable with that? You know, asking questions about uh, the relation, the relational component of therapy. Yes. So I think there are certain things that you can do to find out if a therapist is a right fit for you. Absolutely. And 
if we use that as a jumping off point, that could save people so much time and aggravation and energy. So I'm just reminded of a case where I worked with a partner and this partner had been sort of in this process of, of betrayal, trauma, recovery with her husband for years, quite a few years. And there had never been a formal disclosure. And of course, when she got to me, that was definitely something that I you know, was talking about. And what I found out then was that you know, her partner's therapist wasn't really an advocate of disclosure. But not only that, by the time I got on the phone with that person, with my client's partner's therapist, she told me that she had in all of her years never, as a therapist, never talked to the therapist of her client's partner. Does that make sense? Yes. It seems a little convoluted. Like in other words, in all the years that she had been practicing, she had never talked to her client's partner's therapist. And to me, that was a shock because I do not know how to do this work without collaborating as a team. I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I don't really think you can do this relational work without collaborating as a team. I don't see how that would be possible. You need that insight. I mean, the reality is with sex addiction treatment and this trauma, the person who's struggling with compulsive sexual behavior does need someone supporting them and walking through it and they need their own space to process, right? But that person who's helping them do that also needs the input from the partner's therapist or the couple's therapist to help their client understand the context that this all is happening in. And that does take a lot of, of work as, as therapists to do that, to, to collaborate. But what I've seen is you end up helping the whole coupleship as a whole. And in a way, the coupleship becomes, I don't want to say it's the only thing, but it, it becomes kind of a primary mechanism for everybody to heal. Absolutely. And something that I really want to make sure that we are clear about, Dwayne, because I don't want anyone to misunderstand us. Just because we believe in collaboration and the importance of systemic treatment, we're not saying that the betrayer, let's say, doesn't have privacy or any confidentiality with their therapist and that everything that they say is going to be under a microscope and repeated to somebody. I mean, I could tell you right now that I have worked with, my God, I don't know how many addicts over the years and I have releases to talk with the, you know, the, their partner's therapist, but I'm not, I'm not sharing all of the intimate details. The only thing that I'm collaborating on are the things that are going to be helping the couple move forward. Usually it involves things like clinical disclosure and boundaries and you know things like that, therapeutic separations when necessary. So I don't I just don't want anyone to think, oh, what they're saying is that we can't build a therapeutic alliance with our own therapist and everything that we say should be open to to be repeated, you know, to other people. That's that's definitely not at all what we're saying. In fact, I think this would be a good time, maybe Dwayne, for you to share a little bit about what you um, what you know about the therapeutic alliance and how important having that is. Like, if you don't have that with someone, if you don't have a therapeutic alliance with your therapist, I, I don't care how qualified they are and how many certifications they have after their name and letters and numbers and all of that stuff, it's not going to be a good fit, and you're not going to. It's not going to be effective. Well, uh, and the research about therapeutic alliance backs that up. It basically states what they found is that about 97% of the outcome comes from the client having a strong relationship with their therapist, right? And so that is key. 
to therapeutic change. You know, we change when we feel heard and understood and can get reflected back good information in a safe environment and we can make those changes to help us. And if a person doesn't have that therapeutic alliance, they're probably not going to get a lot of change and they'll probably drop out of therapy anyway, right? Because it won't work. It won't work and they might be, or they might be with this therapist and that therapist is so highly recommended and has all the certifications, like they're the expert, but this particular client doesn't feel connected or or heard or seen. Um, They might either drop out of therapy, as you said, or the opposite. They feel like, well, this is the specialist. This is the person who knows, so I'm going to stay. But when you don't feel safe, you know, when you don't feel like you can completely open up, you can you can share vulnerably, you're not going to have the benefit of the therapy. So I think that, you know, our takeaway message is, sadly, when it comes to betrayal trauma, it's not that easy. Finding treatment is actually quite a challenge, I think, for, um, right, for both members of the couple. And we do feel that for the, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of people that are listening right now who really relate to this because hearing about bad experiences with treatment and therapy is something that is just so commonly talked about in partners groups and um, when we do our workshops and, you know, when we hear or get feedback from our podcast listeners. And so we know that it's challenging. So I think that the takeaway is that when you're looking at your tre- to putting together a treatment team, there has to be some collaboration between the two of you. You know, it's not just you go find your person and I'll go find my person. Because if you find two people that don't operate from the same model, it's going to hurt your relationship further. It's going to traumatize a already traumatized relationship. Right. And, and that's so painful to see when I have clients come in who have gone through that experience where they got help that really wasn't helpful. In fact, it was detrimental. And we have to, we have to do a repair there as well, which is, which is also really challenging. And I'd also say that not every therapist is going to be the right fit for everyone. So it's okay that if it's not the right fit, that's all right. You know, some therapists, they, they can be really good with certain types of people and not good with other types of people. And that's okay. That's just part of, that's just how therapy works. So it's really important to pay attention to that. You know, if you're not feeling like this is working or working for the relationship as a couple coming together and going, hey, can we, can we talk about this? And can we maybe try somebody else? Right. Right. And and if you're wondering, well, am I with the wrong therapist as you're listening to this podcast? I think something that can give you a, a bit of an indication is is your therapist including your partner and including the relationship as a separate entity? Are they are they when I say including, are they are they thinking about it? Are they addressing it? Are they bringing it into session? Because again, if the goal, if one of the goals of being in the therapy is to help heal the relationship, then if you are with somebody who says things to you like, it's not your partner's business, this is, the, this is your therapy, you shouldn't tell them anything that goes on in here or anything like that at all, that's probably not a therapist who's working from a relational model. And again, not to say that that therapist is not excellent and skilled in many different areas, but we are talking specifically today here about relational healing from betrayal or relational healing after betrayal. 
And so making sure that you really have a team, we can't say this enough, where the relationship is looked at as sort of that third, like this, you know, we talk about the three-legged stool. We've got the partner, the addict, and then the couple. For both the addict and the partner in their individual work, there has to be some recognition and an involvement or integrating of that third, that third leg of the stool, the coupleship. Absolutely. And I also say that if you're with a therapist that you're not sure is the right fit, I hope that you feel comfortable to talk to your therapist about that and saying, hey, I don't know if this is working for me. And if it's not working, being able to explore that possibility or even a therapist being open to say, hey, maybe I'm not the right therapist for you. Let's find somebody else that's going to work for you. In some of the research about uh, therapeutic change, I think this is in uh, Scott Miller's research, he wrote about therapists that are just really, really good. Their outcomes are above normal. And one of the things he found with those therapists is that they were always actively soliciting feedback from their clients about the therapeutic process itself. And so they're asking, is this working for you? You know, am I a good therapist for you? Does this feel like it's working? And they make it safe for the client to be able to say, yes, no, or I'd like to change this or no, I think we need to talk about the relationship more or this isn't working for me. So you also want to notice, is your therapist flexible? Absolutely. In that and open to that. Mm-hmm. If not, you may want to think about that. That's such a hugely important point, Dwayne. And I think also not just you being curious about whether your therapist is the right fit for you, but also looking at, huh, every week or every other day or every day, my partner seems to be telling me that what I am getting in my therapy is is conflicting with what she is hearing or, you know, or being told or learning about in hers. And so to listen to her, right? This is not about shaming you or you've done something wrong, but this is an important thing to look at. So if your partner doesn't feel like you're working from a model that's relational, talk to her, ask her what she means by that. Ask her to be specific with you. And then you can go and you can talk to your therapist and you can you can look at that and say, you know, I get what she's saying. Wow, that makes sense. And maybe your therapist will be like, of course, that makes perfect sense. I can see how she would feel that way, right? But I, I'm really just wanting to encourage people to be open to listening to their partner, you know, and vice versa. You know, like partners, no matter who the partner is, if it's the man, the female, you know, addict, partner that's been betrayed, that you're looking at it collaboratively and you're looking at it together and you're willing to put down the defensiveness and you're willing to be open and to hear each other's concerns and be willing to then potentially make changes. Or at the very least, like you said, Dwayne, talk to your therapist and say, this is what's coming up in my relationship and some of my partner's concerns. And they really make sense to me. And I'd like to talk about it with you in here. Right. I think it's absolutely right. This really is, I feel like we could talk about this forever and people might still feel confused because we didn't give clear instruction. We didn't say, if you want to find the right therapist to heal betrayal trauma, you need to hire a CSAT or you need to hire someone who's APSAT certified or you need to go to somebody who is Gottman certified, right? Or has done Stan Tatkin's training. What we're saying is that finding out what someone's qualifications are, making sure that they specialize is important and that'll get you sort of your initial consultation. But once you have your initial consultation, 
that's when you do that interview that, that Dwayne was talking about. That's when you're asking the questions because they could be so quote unquote qualified, but not the best choice or fit for you. And what I'm thinking, Marnie, is what we could do is maybe we could come up with uh, 10 questions that they could ask a potential therapist that they could use to be able to do that interview. I think that would be helpful. It might give them give our audience some concrete ideas. Dwayne, I think that's a great idea. Let's let's definitely um, take some time to come up with just like a template, you know, and some of those questions might feel appropriate for one person and some of them might not for another. So just kind of take what you like and leave the rest and we'll include that list in our show notes for this episode. Sounds great, Marnie. Well, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. And once again, if you feel this podcast is helpful, please share it with a friend if you think that would be helpful to them or consider writing a review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And we appreciate as always your trust in us. And I also want to just wish everybody a happy and a peaceful and a healthy new year. Absolutely. And to you too, Dwayne. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. We will talk to you on the next episode. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you are finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Duane in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.